We stand before you today, O oh Lord. Hearts broken, eyes weeping, heads spinning. Our brothers and sisters have died. They gathered and prayed and then were no more. The prayer-soaked walls of the church are spattered with blood. The enemy at the table turned on them in violence while they were turning to you in prayer. We stand with our sisters and brothers. We stand with their families. We stand to bear their burden in Jesus' name. We cry out to you, O Lord, our hearts breaking, eyes weeping, heads spinning. The violence in our streets has come into your house. The hatred in our cities has crept into your sanctuary. The brokenness in our lives has broken into your temple. The dividing wall of hostility has crushed our brothers and sisters. We cry out to you, may your kingdom come. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. We cry out for our sisters and brothers. We cry out for their families. We cry out for peace in Jesus' name. We pray to you today, O oh Lord, our hearts breaking, eyes weeping, souls stirring. We pray for our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We pray to the God of all comfort to comfort our brothers and sisters in their mourning. We pray that you would bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We pray that you would give them the oil of joy instead of mourning. We pray that you would give them a garment of praise in place of a spirit of despair. We pray for our brothers and sisters. We pray for their families. We pray for their comfort in Jesus' name. We declare together, O Lord, with hearts breaking, eyes weeping, and souls stirring, we will continue to stand and cry and weep with our brothers and sisters. We will continue to make a place of peace for even the enemies at our table. We will continue to open our doors and our hearts to those who enter in. We will continue to seek to forgive as we have been forgiven. We will continue to love in Jesus' name because you taught us that love conquers all. We declare our love for you, our sisters. We declare our love for you, our brothers. We declare our love for you, their families. We declare our love as one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We declare they do not grieve alone today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We are in Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, Acts 1. If not, it'll be on the screen. And over the next three weeks, uh, it's going to be fun. We, we have not had this opportunity as we've gone through this wayfinding series, but the next three weeks, we will go through the first three chapters of Acts. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3. And if you've been around the church much, sometimes you'll hear people get together and say, we need to be more like the first century church. Amen? You've heard that, right? We need to be like the Acts 2 church. <clears throat> and what we want to do over the next few weeks is say, there's some certain level of truth in that. Um, but we are God's faithful people in 2015, not in the first century. And so we want to mine from here what are some of the timeless truths that we are to be about as we try to faithfully be the church in today, here and now. And so Acts chapter 1, we're going to look down through the whole chapter. And I remember in seminary, 
uh, in our preaching classes, they were called a homiletics class, the preaching professor would harp on us. When you preach a sermon, you have one big idea, one main point. Make sure you refine it. Make sure you people get it. And so this morning, I am going to do the opposite of that. I'm going to do the opposite of what I was taught. And we're going to have seven main points this morning. They're sort of connected, but they also sort of stand alone. So this chapter is important. There are some things that we need to know, we need to understand um, if we're going to be the church in a time where the church is needed. Amen? Acts 1, starting in verse 1, it says this, In my first book, I told you, Theophilus. This is Luke writing. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and now this is the second part. I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began. And I'm going to have you circle. Sort of my points are going to be some words we're going to take that we need to understand. That word began is, is one of them. Everything that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. We're going to see the word Holy Spirit a number of times, and we need to talk about that a little bit. So circle that one as well. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Circle that. We've come to this passage before, but it's so important. The 40 days after Jesus' die, Jesus died and rose again. What does he talk about? One thing we are told in this text. So we need to talk about that. Verse 4. When he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? In their minds, this whole kingdom of God language is still a nationalistic reality. Like We need to be free from Roman oppression. That's what we think you've been talking about the whole time. When are you going to do it? And still, they don't fully understand what this kingdom of God is all about. And Jesus replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, circle that, that, that word witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. So that first word is began that I want to talk about. The word began. And what Luke is trying to do is show the connection to the gospel of Luke. He's trying to say basically the book of Acts is like a sequel movie. Usually when we have sequel movies, they're, they're very poorly done. But this is the sequel movie that's going to be awesome. And that word also tells us that this second book, this sequel movie, is also fully about Jesus. Even though Jesus is only with this story in the first eight verses, the entirety of the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is about the start of the church, the entirety of the book of Acts is about Jesus Christ. The point of the church, whether it's first century or 2015, is we are about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the story we tell. Jesus, is Christ. Jesus Christ is what we point people towards. Jesus Christ brings hope and justice and reconciliation. It is what he is, what the story is about in its entirety. And then the next word there is the kingdom of God that you see at the end of verse 3. And we talk about that a good amount around CrossFit, and we'll continue to talk about that because it was at the heart of what Jesus talked about. There's an Old Testament theologian that said you could define the kingdom of God this way. He says the kingdom of God 
is God's people in God's place under God's rule. So if you look at the Old Testament, it was Israel, God's people, in God's place, hopefully in the promised land. That's what they were always hoping for, in that land that God had promised them, under God's rule, fully functioning, functioning as though God is their king. And we could apply that to how we understand the kingdom of God as well. God's people, which is anybody who has put their faith and trust in King Jesus. So God's people in God's place. What is God's place? It's God's place, this building, the church. I would argue God's place is wherever God has you. For God so loved the Greek word cosmos. God loves his good creation. So wherever God has you in his good creation is God's place for you. So God's people in God's place under God's rule, living your life day in, day out, your family's life, our life as a church, as though God were actually in charge. Like what does it look for me to walk into tomorrow? What does it look for me today, this afternoon? What does it look like for us as a church to function as though Jesus were, is actually king. God's people in God's place under God's rule. And that's what the rest of the book talks about as well. Listen to this. Acts chapter 8 verse 12. But now the people believed Philip's message of the good news. Here's the message of the good news concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They kept the message going. Chapter 19, verse 8. Then Paul went into the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about what? Sanctification, justification. No, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. It's the heart of the message. Verse 20, chapter 20, verse 25. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. That's the Apostle Paul. Chapter 28 at the end of the book. So a time was set and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Verse 31 at the end of the book. For the next two years Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is the central message of what is going on in the early church and should be the central message of how we understand what God is up to in the world around us. God's people in God's place, wherever God has you, friends. In God's place under God's rule. What does it look like day in, day out for God to actually be in charge of your life? I love the first words of Jesus. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I almost think day in, day out, that's the invitation that we are called into. Repent of all the kingdoms I tend to buy into. The kingdom of money, the kingdom of power, the kingdom of fame, my little kingdoms I try to build. Repent of all those and each day say, Lord, I submit to your kingdom today. Be King Jesus of my life. It's that beautifully big and practical all at the same time. Third word in this first part, the idea of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been around the church much, some of you, when you hear the word Holy Spirit, you are like, yeah, let's talk about the Holy Spirit all day. Let's get into it. Let's raise our hands. Let's have an experience. Others of you, you hear the word Holy Spirit, and you're like, oh, that's a little weird. Are we going to go down that place? How do we talk about that? 
So what I want to do is hopefully talk about the Holy Spirit in a way that gives us the freedom to say, for anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, the presence of God, the full presence of God, and this is where the Holy Spirit is both mystery and hard to understand and so practical and real and simple in our lives all at the same time. The presence of the Creator God The presence of the God of the Old Testament. The presence of the God who came in human form. The presence of the God who lived and died and rose again. That God is fully present in the life of everybody who trusts Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And it's that power that the text says, Jesus says, wait for that. Because when you get that, then you guys can get this whole church thing going then it's going to make a lot of sense. The Holy Spirit is both all of that and just that. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you have the presence of God in you. As Paul says later on, you, you are now the temple of God. You are where God dwells. Trust in that, rely on that, Let that presence and that power that's in you work out through you. That's what's happening in this early text. And then the last word is witnesses. And the image is this, this idea of being witnesses. It's though a play is happening. And in Luke, and to this point in Acts, Jesus has been the main actor, center stage in this play. And now Jesus is saying, I am going to leave and I invite you all to come onto the stage and begin acting in this play as though you were me. And so as witnesses, we act our lives, we act whatever place God has put us under his rule as though we are him. That's the invitation that's going on in this text here. I think I'd recap it this way and also lead us into the next part. That the kingdom advances as the spirit of God comes to live within the hearts of people and the lives of people. And that community, the people who together, the spirit is living in them, they begin to bear witness, to be Jesus to the world around them, declaring that Jesus is truly king, that Jesus is truly Lord. And in small and incomplete ways, God is doing through you exactly what God did in human form through Jesus Christ. And just as the Spirit was present in Jesus, the Spirit is now present in you, inviting you to bear witness to all that God is. And for that to happen... For us to bear witness together and individually, for that to happen, Jesus has to leave. So we jump to verse 9. So after saying all of this, he's taken up into a cloud, and while they were watching, they could no longer see him. And friends, imagine if you're the disciples, just 40 plus days before he had died, and you're like, oh, they're afraid in the upper room. What's, what's going on? And now again, he's leaving them. So every fear, every bit of angst is probably welling up inside of them. As they strained to see him rising in the heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. I want to hit two ideas here. These are points five and six of this message. The first one is this idea of the ascension. 
And the second, I want to talk just for a minute about the return of God. But the ascension, this idea of Jesus departing and going and no longer being with them, he is now absent in their minds. And we get the concept of absence. We get what it, it's like to lose somebody, for someone to leave. I remember in my sort of mid-20s, around 23, 24, I finally left home. Yes, I lived home all the way through college and, and grad school a little bit. That's a whole other issue. Some of you who are counselors can help my wife out. But I remember that moment of leaving home in Wisconsin, and I was leaving to go and finish grad school out in Philadelphia, and my parents, I could see in them a bit of joy probably, but my mom, I could see a lot of pain, a child leaving the house. And we get the sense of losing something, of something being absent, whether it's a child going off to school, the death of somebody we love, a divorce, a relationship that is broken. We get that feeling of absence, that something is being, has been torn from us. And we get it because absence, when somebody's presence has been meaningful and they become absence, it's like tearing part of you away, right? And that's what's going on in the ascension with the disciples. Jesus has left, and we know, I mean, we read scriptures, we know he's promised the Holy Spirit, we, like we get all that, but in the moment, Jesus has just left. And the pain that that is bringing out of them. And the ascension paints this picture of Jesus is gone, but Jesus had to go, as we just said, if the mission of the church is really going to happen. And presence begins to look differently. The presence of Jesus, the presence of God, begins to look different. That's hard for us to understand. One of the ways that helps me understand it is a study done by a guy named Andrew Zersky. Andrew is a PhD from Princeton in youth ministry and has done a lot of study, a lot of research around the impact of social media on students and kids. And he said the average teen spends 10.75 hours a day in some kind of mediated social interaction. Isn't that interesting? 10.75 hours a day. And by the way, adults, some of us aren't, aren't far off that. He goes on to say, he says, the popular myth explaining why is that kids are addicted to the devices. They love shiny phones and iPads and laptops. And he says this is the moth myth. As though they were drawn like moths to a flame. He says that if you hand a kid a brand new iPhone, turn off call service, take away the contacts, all they'll have is an extremely expensive and somewhat unimpressive game platform that they'll eventually ignore. He says kids aren't about the shiny new object. And here's what he says. They're seeking presence that can now be mediated through technology. What they're after, Zersky says, is presence in absence. They get the ascension. They get there's a way for something to be present even when it's not physically there. He goes on to say that kids are a lot smarter, students are a lot smarter than we think. That there's this thing that we're drawn to and that, 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 that the reality is God is the one, even though not physically present, that can be fully present in those who trust him. The ascension, that's what it's all about. That Jesus had to leave for us to do 
what God wants us for. As it says in the gospel, that you will do even greater things. Jesus had to leave for us, the church, all who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit to do the greater things that have been promised. Second word there before we jump to the end is the return of Jesus. It's intriguing in this text. And I think in the next year we'll probably do some type of end time series because there's so much out there around the end time, so much that's often unhealthy. But it says in this text that just as he left, he will return. So just as this physical Jesus who had literally risen, bodily risen from the grave, just as he physically left and went up, he will fully return bodily in the same way to make all things right. That's hope. It's not something to be afraid of. It's something to look forward. It's something that we work towards. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is the hope of the church that he will come back in the same way he left to make things right again. Okay, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. A distance of half a mile when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Again, we don't have time to talk about this, but the fact that he's listing women in the very start of the church, this early gathering, is radical. You did not do that in the first century. That's a big, big deal. Verse 15. During this time when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scripture had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas also bought a field with the money he received for his treachery, following head first there. His body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of this death spread through all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Alkadama, which means field of blood. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. And so here, here, here's the, 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 the last thing, the seventh point, the, the end of this text here. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the other men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken over. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So the number, a lot of commentators, the number had to be 12 so that people could understand that this is now the new people of God. Just as you had the, the, the 12 tribes of the Old Testament, this is the 12 apostles. This is the new people of God forming the new people, being God's hope in the world. And so what we have now is the first church business meeting, Okay. First church vote, they've got to choose a new leader. And here's what happens. This is really, really important. So they nominated two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. So they nominate two people. Here's the next thing. Then they all prayed. Like, that doesn't make sense, does it? Like, nominate two people, then get some policies in place. And then maybe a list of qualifications. Isn't that what we normally do? Okay, here's how we do it. We have to control what goes on here. The church I came from in the cities was part of a mainline uh, denomination called the Presbyterian Church USA. And it's a denomination for the last two decades that has just slowly declined. 
And some would say it's declining because of bad theology. And there's a certain level of truth in that. But the majority of people that I know that really understand mainline denominations and their decline and say they're declining not because of bad theology. They're declining because bureaucracy begins to rule the day. So the larger they get or whatever it might be, we put more rules and more policies and more things in place because we got to control what's going on. And what happens is the reverse. The bureaucracy begins to kill the mission of God in the local church. I'm not saying we don't need certain rules and policies. We, we have them, trust me. But I think one of the learnings that we see here in the process of what it means to do church is we need to structure and organize ourselves continually in ways that allow for us to faithfully be about the mission of God. If God's inviting us to do something, to be someplace, to act on something, and we can't do it because there's too many policies in place, we should sit back and say, wait a second. So the early church has to make a decision. They know they're called by God to do it. First thing they do again, everybody say it, is what? Say it a little louder. They pray. They gather and they pray. Our last church business meeting, Monday started us off with about five or ten minutes of just people praying together. It was beautiful. The best part of the meeting. Proving the budget, good. Praying together, phenomenal. That's what the church should be doing. And then it says, so they prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen. As an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he's deserted us and has gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots which would be marking an object and you would throw them down and it would tell you who you should choose. This is a common practice in the first century. Even, even in Israel, it's a common practice. This is one of those places where I would say, this probably isn't the way we should continue to do it. It was a first century practice. Well, they cast lots and they choose Matthias to become an apostle with the 11. One of the great learnings that we take away from this again and again and again should be we should always be organized in such a way when God moves, we can move with the Spirit of God. It's so important for us to understand. So here's the recap. The word began, the word kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit, witnesses, the ascension, coming back, and what it looks like for the church to be structured in a way to follow mission. Friends, Acts 1 is so important for us to understand. Bill Hybels, a great pastor of our day, often says the local church is the hope of the world. I believe that with every ounce of my being. It's important that we understand what the, what the local church should be about and look like and how we should function. Let's pray. God, Lord, take your word this morning. We've been all over. So I pray, Lord, that you would take your word and in each individual this morning that you would speak the good word that you need to speak, God. For some of us who need to understand the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, we've trusted you, but we really haven't understood what it means to give over daily control to you or your kingdom, your leadership in our lives. God, whatever it might be, God, I pray that you through your spirit, would do that good work in us individually and us as a community. Pray this in your name. Amen.